Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Without the costume. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You know, we've uh, spoken uh, a great deal about the issue of pain, chronic pain, and chronic pain patients. And uh, chronic pain patients who are having their opioid medications denied them by, by doctors who have said that they're terrified of their colleges, their medical colleges, who are threatening their medical licenses. And patients who have told us about family members who have committed suicide. There's a whole different side to this issue as well. And, uh, and we really only have touched on this in a, in a, in a minor way uh, until today, and that is what is happening to young people, to kids in this country, who find themselves addicted to drugs and uh, take those drugs, and either it changes their lives or it ends their lives. And uh, in, the, in, the, in the case of Nick Cody, 18 years of age, it ended his life. I just want to read you a few lines from uh, One Pill Change in Nick's Life. Nick was a son, Nick was a brother, Nick was a friend, and Nick was a defender. Nick Cody was someone who loved life so much that he'd proclaim he wanted to live forever. He was kind-hearted, brave, adventurous, always the first to help someone in need, and simply hilarious. He was the first to snowboard down the toughest hill, and he was the one who got everyone laughing at the dinner table and classroom. Growing up, Nick always hated drugs, but that was not enough to stop them from taking his life. Nick suffered from a problem with drugs, and ultimately, this disease took everything away from Nick, and ultimately took Nick away from everyone who loved him. Nick would be so proud to have this proposed bill in his name, the education and awareness Nick's law can bring, and knowing the impact it could have in helping others like him. Lisa McLeod is a conservative MPP in the province of Ontario, and she's proposing Nick's Law. And joining me on the program is Nick's father, Steve Cody. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you? Good, sir. How are you doing? Oh, very good, thank you. Condolences on the loss of your son. Thank you very much. Also with us is uh, Sean O'Leary. He's the executive director of WeTheParents.ca. WeTheParents.ca. Sean, thank you very much for joining us. I don't know your story, but I suspect you're also a parent who has dealt with the the dreadful reality of addiction in kids. I am. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, sir. I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Steve, tell us a bit about uh, about 
about your about your son, about Nick? I mean, I read the half of the page that I have in front of me, but tell us about tell us about the the young man he was. Uh, you know, uh, just a, a really good kid. Uh, I mean, you pretty much said it there in, in the words that you just spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is I, after Nick passed, it was, it was, we had parents coming to the door, and uh, you know, one child where he was. Uh, in a wheelchair and uh, would get teased at school and the parents took the time to combine tell us how nick would stick up for him and another kid i think uh, you know was was autistic and that they, the parents came to the door and told us how nick uh, and nick stuck up for them and nick wasn't it was a was a very small kid compared to the rest of the people but uh you know he, he had a, a a big heart and uh and you know he, he wasn't scared of anything so uh so anyways that's I think when I think back, those that's probably you know what I'm very very proud of. How long had Nick been living with uh, with a, a problem with drugs or an addiction to drugs, and and when did it first manifest itself to you? When were you first aware? Uh, I think it was about three years uh, before he passed, and and that's really how I got introduced to Lisa McLeod was when we had to deal with uh, you know found, finding out your your son has done cocaine for for the weekend and. Uh, tells you that in the morning so first thing you do is uh, you know you get in the car we're going to go to the doctor and try to get some help go to the family doctor doctor said well it's just a bit of cocaine not not too big a deal he'll get over it uh, i knew better than that so we went to the children's hospital got back in the car went to children's hospital they said uh, you know we don't deal with uh, with uh, with kids with drug problems you're gonna have to go to the royal ottawa hospital so got back in the car, went to the Royal Ottawa. They said, well, we don't deal with kids under 16 years old. Uh, you're going to have to call Dave Smith, which is a uh, treatment center here in Ottawa. So I, I called them and they said, uh, uh, thank you for calling. You're going to have to talk, uh, you know, call intake, leave a message. They'll call you within 24 hours. And then uh, we'll see you within three months. Oh. Uh, so I said, well, that doesn't work. What can I do? They suggested go to Rito Wood, another treatment center where I could walk right in. So got in the car again, got, took my son, went there, talked to the receptionist. She gave me a card. She said, uh, go to, um, she said, call intake. We'll call you within 24 hours and hopefully we can see it within three to four months. And I'm like, well, that's not good enough. So got back in the car, drove out to the West End where we live, went to our MP, uh, 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 Pierre Pelvier at the time, federal. Uh, so he was federal and literally walked right into his office with my son told him what had happened. He told me, well, that's not a federal problem. It's a provincial problem. Uh, so, well, thanks a lot. Uh, wow. And then uh, got back in the car, drove to Lisa McLeod's office, and she said, yeah, no problem. I can help you with this. I'm sorry to hear your story and uh, have a seat. And she came back 45 minutes later and said, Steve, I'm very sorry, but I can't find any help for you. So that was kind of my first introduction to, to Lisa. So all the doors closed. Oh, unbelievable. And you know what? I'm, I'm a... I'm an entrepreneur. I'm self-employed. I can, you know, I can, fortunately for me, I can take that day. But if I'm a single mom yeah. and I have that problem with my child, yeah. what do I do? You know, it's game over. It's awful. But well, it's, it is awful because there must be so many children oh. and an increasing number of children who are dealing with drug addiction. Their parents find out. The first thing the parent wants to do is to, is to get help. So exactly. what? The, where do you go for the help? You went go to all the places that you went. And in your case, and I would imagine then... Um, by extension, in all other cases, the doors are firmly closed in your face, and it's sorry, can't help you. Bye. Well, I think this is where maybe Sean would step in because I dealt with this seven years ago. 
I think the problem is worse today, and the, the the solution doesn't seem to be any different. And that's how I was introduced to Sean. So Sean's going through this right now. So maybe I'll pass it off to him, and he can. Uh, yeah. Hey, Sean. Yeah, well, that's it. basically it's a. Uh, most I wrote an email in somewhere to I guess in the social media world went viral about the struggles our family is having with getting help for our daughter, and and that led to the formation of We the Parents, and that's when I first met Steve, and he reached out to me because he had gone through this and then saw his uh, son pass away and, and then realized still nothing has improved. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse. And as you said, everything's getting worse and worse. And the opioids have come on the scene. And uh, now in, in our neighborhood here in Canada, we had three teenagers die in a matter of a few months last winter. And we're, there's still very little help for us. So, so the, Steve, your experience was seven years ago. Yeah. with the hospitals and and Sean your experience is, is right now and nothing's changed nothing nothing no, not at all nothing as a matter of fact, and the drugs fact, are worse the drugs, and the drugs are worse and a matter of fact I've uh, had lots of me I've met with Dr. Hoskins uh, um, the federal minister of health at the time Jane Philpott I put a shot light on the fact that like in the city of Ottawa there's not even a, a withdrawal or detox bed for people that are 16 years of age and under and still eight months later there's nothing. The only thing uh, appears like in our city that they're ready, willing to do is more pop-up injection sites and uh, no treatment, no help for the for those that are struggling that want to get on the uh, path to recovery. Well, exactly. The pop-up injection sites are not what you want. No, no. But uh, that seems to be where all the dollars are going. It's uh, yeah. whether it's and you know and, and whether it's for people in the case that you talk about where uh, now the doctors are getting nervous and they're cutting off prescriptions and. As Steve and I, a couple of last, the week before last, we spent the week doing health fairs at uh, federal prisons in uh, in Ontario and talking to people in there. We talked to one young man. He was 32 years old. He goes, you know, as 28 years old, I had no criminal record. He says, they, uh, he says I'm a floor installer. Uh, I got I injured my knee at an operation. They gave me Percocets and then Oxy for the pain in my knee, and then they cut me off. He says, now I'm in here for possession of heroin. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is happening to people more and more because they've been prescribed their medications. In the cases we talk about, it's generally opioids. Yeah. And they and it brought their quality of life back to where they could actually live their lives. And they could do the things that they wanted to do and needed to do in order to function and be yeah. part of a family and have a job. And then suddenly, and I mean suddenly, they're cut off because doctors are so afraid of their medical colleges and of the politicians. So now the doctors are not prescribing any longer, and these people are going through through living hell. We've had some of them on the air, and it's terrible to hear. And, and you know, where are the solutions? Where's the, where's the caring? Where's the input? Where's the money? We put $100 billion a year into our health care system. Why does a 76-year-old man who's a former military member and a former police officer have to send me emails that he's in desperate straits because his doctor has said, I'm not giving you anything. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm living it with my mother. I mean, she uh, she hurt her back, oh boy, probably about nine years ago, seven years ago, uh, prescribed uh, Oxycontin. And I remember going into her cupboard one day and looking at all these pill bottles. She had been over-prescribed. There was over a 1,000 uh, Oxycontins in there that she had been over-prescribed. Um, you know, and uh, anyway, she's ended up turned into an addict, but I know right now her doctors cut her off and I'm scared because yeah. he's given her no alternative, not talking about any kind of treatment. 
Um, and the alternative is, is kind of street drugs, and they're laced with fentanyl. Yeah. And, you know, this is going to be the next wave. This is going to be a major problem. For it is. Our country. It's, yeah. There's no question it's, about basically, that. Basically, the medical system and the pharmacy, pharmaceutical industry have hooked, whether it be 76-year-old people or my 17-year-old daughter on opioids, and then are giving us no help. On Turning their backs on getting those people into treatment or, reco- or to, uh, into recovery. And, I, you uh, know, doctor, doctors I want to talk to on the air, yeah. they, they say, well, yeah, uh, no, I don't think so. They, they want to, but they, they won't and, mm-hmm. uh, because they're afraid. They're yep. afraid that they're going to be on the radar. So instead of, uh, instead of putting programs in place that will actually provide assistance, provide help, there's nothing there, but there's accusation and blame and deflection, and there are more people suffering and more kids are dying. Yep. Absolutely. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about Nick's Law, and we'll talk about what you're doing on, uh, on the website and what's going to, what, what parents are doing. WeTheParents.ca is the website. Sean O'Leary is the executive director, and uh, with us is uh, Steve Cody, whose uh, son, Nick, uh, was, died on, was, was it his 18th birthday, Steve? 17th. 17th. Oh, my goodness. We'll come right back. Roy won't take no or no comment sitting down. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I'd like you to uh, just go to nixlaw.ca, nixlaw.ca, and support the effort. It doesn't matter whether you have a child or grandchild. Uh, just support the effort. If you have kids, you'll particularly want to get behind this because it matters. And the support is not there on over a seven-year period from when um, Steve Cody first went looking for help, and this was in the Ottawa area for his son, Nick, to today, and Sean O'Leary with his uh, daughter dealing with uh, addiction issues, still can't find the help that they require, but uh, everybody's passing the buck and everybody's deflecting and everybody's blaming somebody else in the political arena and the medical arenas. Whatever happened to looking after people? Whatever happened to that? Um, Sean, what do you... What are the objectives of WeTheParents.ca? Because we'll have, we have listeners across Canada. Many of them may well be dealing with uh, addiction with their own kids. Well, if, you know, they, if they get online, what, are they, what, what can you do for them and what can they do for you? Well, we've started, uh, we're actually introducing a pilot program in West Ottawa area starting this Friday. We just had a meeting about a Thursday to try and, we're working with other parents to basically try to get our kids. We've started smart recovery meetings for them. And that's part of the program because uh, right now the government's letting us down. They have absolutely nothing. And uh, um, as you said earlier, whether this was Steve started seven years ago and it's continuing. And you know, I mean, I know in Toronto also you've had many young people die from from overdosing on these drugs. The drugs have gotten much stronger. Um, there's the introduction of fentanyl, which is now placed in all the drugs, be it cocaine or heroin or ecstasy that's being used everywhere and it's uh, unfortunately it's killing many of our kids and 
and you said it, the, the government's deflecting. I've uh, tried dealing with Ottawa Public Health. They all they're doing in Ottawa is uh, more and more injection sites. It's uh, it's like it's like it's uh, the least ex- least expensive means for the government to mm-hmm. uh, try to cover their tracks by keeping as many people as alive as possible. But it's uh, uh, I mean uh, you can't have uh, injection sites without offering treatment and. Uh, Right now in the city of Ottawa, that's all we're doing is offering injection sites. Uh, there was a guy, Dr. Mark Tindall, in 2013. He was head of infectious disease at the University of Ottawa. And when these injection sites, safe injection sites, were first starting, he was one of the first proponents. And he even he's quoted as saying, you can't have a safe injection site without offering treatment. They go hand in hand. And I know in our city, and, I'm, and I know it's actually the same in Toronto and many places across Canada, um, they're starting to, to get a grip out on it out west, but uh, it doesn't go hand in hand. They just do injection and for treatment. Well, the, the services available to our children are few and far between. Mm-hmm. I, couldn't I, think ima- the- I, I couldn't even imagine for some of the people you're dealing with and the senior citizens in our country that have been hooked on opioids and have now been cut off their prescriptions. It's, I have no idea what helps out there for them, and I imagine it's very, very little. Although people uh, who who require these uh, medications to return some quality of life, and it's worked for them, and it's allowed them to live, and now they're being cut off. And then you have the, uh, for example, the editor of the the guidelines, uh, Professor Jason Busa, on this program saying, well, you know, you don't cut people off, you just taper them with the agreement of the patient. And they have other doctors saying that's the way it, it should be done. But then actual on-the-scene frontline doctors are, are, are scared and they're saying, no, we're afraid we're going to lose our licenses. It's, it is it is an absolute mess. Steve, you were going to say something. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just when I was listening to you, Sean, I was thinking about uh, last week you were telling me about uh, a mom, I think, gave you a syringe. The son had done heroin and uh, Sean brought it down to the injection site to see if he could have it tested for fentanyl. And they wouldn't give you a test strip or something, Sean? Because no, it's like they so far they don't even like the fact that I've been asking for assistance for us to run some uh, recovery meetings and stuff for the kids. That uh, I went down there and I knew they have uh, these fentanyl test strips. You get test drugs to see if they contain fentanyl, and uh, they wouldn't even give me one. <laughs> it's like, and yet our city is financing them by the tune of. Uh, I think it was the one on Sandy Hill at $1.5 million a year to uh, help people inject drugs. And, they, and uh, I offered to even pay for it. It's a 3 or $4 little thing that just has for fentanyl. And uh, it's just uh, the world's getting to be a silly place. Uh, and you said earlier about letting us down. I mean, I was talking to uh, a federal minister earlier, and I said, you know, I grew up in, I'm in my early 50s. I have three kids. I grew up in Ottawa. And I've been told my whole life that Canada is is one of the best countries in the world, if not the best country in the world to live in. And Ottawa, I believe, is one of the best cities in the best country. And I, you know, I, knew, I always knew that the government, they always took us for a little bit of cash on the taxes and worked around and they spent their money and did this stuff. But I always really, really believed that what, if you entered a crisis, that your child's life was uh, that our government would be there for us. And sadly, I found out they're not. And it's made me actually very disappointed in Canada yeah. as a whole. I did not think that my country. I've always believed. Yeah, it. guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in touch with you during the week. 
Yeah. And we're going to follow up with you, okay, because right. I, we have an ongoing effort here. So I think there's a great opportunity to combine efforts and put pressure yeah, on where pressure needs to be put on. So uh, it's uh, nixlaw.ca and wetheparents.ca as well. Steve, Sean, thank you so much. Uh, so you. sorry for everything that you're experiencing and the suffering that you're you're going through and the lack of help that you're receiving. But we'll be in touch with you over the next couple of days. Thank you for shining the light. We really guys. appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.